If you'll join me this morning, turning to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15 for our scripture reading this morning. I'd like to welcome all of our visitors today, quite a few of you here with us, and we're so glad to have you. I believe you already got one of these connection cards this morning. If you wouldn't mind, if you would like, you can fill that out, and when the offering basket goes by this morning, just drop that in there, and we really appreciate the fact that you would uh, join us this morning. We pray that God's Word will move effectively in all of our hearts. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 24. Romans 15, verse 8 through 24. Verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace of God that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Thank the Lord for his word. If you have your Bibles this morning, could I invite you to come to Romans chapter number 1, Romans chapter 1. We'll be in Romans 15, but I'd like to start in Romans 1 first. And then we come over to Romans 15 in a few moments. So Romans chapter number 1. And as we're in our journey through the book of Romans, uh, we are coming to a point in the book of Romans at chapter 15 where we might say like this, Paul's about to begin his descent on the journey. If he was flying the airplane, we've been at altitude for a very long time, and now he's going to begin the descent into land. That's how we will find ourselves in Romans 15 today. As we come into that Romans 15 passage, though, I kind of want to remind you of some of the things that he said as we were taking off. He gave us some ideas at the beginning of Romans that he now comes back to touch as we come to the end of Romans. Of course, you know the greater bulk of this letter has been the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And then also in chapter 1 and verse 17, For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2, 4. Your life will be different because you put your trust in the gospel. And he's developed that very well all throughout this book. Now we come to the part where he's going to begin to land the airplane, as it were. But I'd like to come back and look at chapter 1 and some thoughts in chapter 1 that kind of give us an idea of where's he coming from when he gets into chapter 15. Remember that the Apostle Paul has never been to this church in Rome. 
That's very odd for him in his epistles. Most of the letters he wrote in his epistles to the churches were churches that not only had he been there, he had started those churches. He was the missionary that carried the gospel to those places, those cities, and he started the church and then he went away and he wrote a letter back to them. At Corinth he did twice, Thessalonians he did twice, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians, he'd been there. The Romans, he'd never been there. He had not seen this church with his own eyes. And he makes mention of that in chapter 1. In verse number 9, he makes mention of this, the fact that he wants to come and see them. He's going to revisit that in Romans 15. So let's see him say it in Romans chapter 1, verse number 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit... In the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. made a statement here in Romans 1. He opens the book up with this statement, I've not been there to see you, but I want to come and see you. Makes me think, why... Why, Paul, would you have not have gone to go and see these people in Rome? They are believers. That would have been a very good thing for you to go and visit them and encourage them. He knows several people in the church. In fact, when we get to chapter 16, he'll name them. People like Aquila and Priscilla, he knows them very well from their time together in Ephesus, from his time with them in Antioch and in Jerusalem. He knows some of these believers. But he's never been there. He continues the thought. Look down in verse 15. Romans chapter 1 and verse 15. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I want to come to Rome and I want to be there with you, brothers and sisters. And I want to preach the gospel in Rome when I get there. And this is a driving force for him to even write the letter. And then he jumps off into chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17, which are the theme verses, the thesis for the entire book. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. And he makes a statement that we just touched several years ago when we were in this passage to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God and to salvation to everyone that believes. Friend, if you are here today and you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, His work on the cross, He has saved your soul. You are no longer an enemy against God, but instead you are made right with God because of Christ's work on the cross. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, to everyone that believes. And if you've never put your trust in Christ, I beg of you, put aside everything else I'll say today, and please cling to the cross of Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You can be made right with God by simply putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His work on the cross changes everything. But he makes this statement at the end of verse 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I will make a statement here that hopefully you can think on. That phrase is not prescriptive, it is descriptive. It's descriptive. It shows you how it happened. It doesn't tell you this is the way it should happen. In other words, the gospel came to the Jews first, and then later it went to the Gentiles. There are those who would say, if you're going to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, then you need to carry it to the Jews first. Not only is that unbiblical, it's illogical. Because we don't have Jewish people living among us, it would be very hard for you to find a Jewish person to share the gospel with so that you can then share the gospel with Gentiles. It is not prescriptive. It's descriptive. It shows the gospel went to the Jewish people first on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, the gospel went forth in Acts chapter 2 and the Jews heard it first. And then as you come into Acts chapter 9, 10, Cornelius, here a Gentile centurion, he gets saved. And then you begin to see other Gentiles get saved as Paul carries the gospel through the rest of the book of Acts and Gentiles become, begin to come to Christ. So it is a descriptive statement. And yet... He does not address it again until we get to chapter 15. And when he gets to chapter 15, which is our passage for today, he definitely unpacks this. You might remember the final words that Christ gave. They line up with this idea that it's to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. These are Christ's words as he was about to ascend back up into heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. That's the Jews first. Jerusalem, Judea. That's the Jews receiving the Gospel first. And that's how it happened in first century Christianity. It went to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem it spread out into Judea, the province around them. And then he said, don't just make this about yourselves. It also goes to other people. Samaria, the people you don't get along with. And then take it to the uttermost part of the earth. And friend, I want to say with gladness, the Gospel continues to go to the uttermost part of the earth. You and I today are the uttermost part of the earth, and the gospel continues to go. Don't think that I said that because it's Papua New Guinea. Every place that is distant from Jerusalem is the uttermost part of the earth. That's the USA, that's Germany, that's Zimbabwe, that's Brazil, that's Chile, that's Mexico, that's Fiji. Every other place on the planet is the uttermost part of the earth. And Christ said, take the gospel and go. And wherever someone is who has not heard of the good news of the gospel of Christ, we should be taking the gospel to them as a part of the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Come with me now to Romans chapter 15. And you will see a continuation of this idea to the Jew first and also to the Greek Romans chapter eight, uh, sorry, chapter 15 and verse number 8. It's going to make a statement here, and this statement goes directly to an idea. I'll unpack it. This idea that the gospel was brought to the Jews first. Let me read verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Jesus was a minister, a servant, the one who carries. Jesus was a minister of the circumcision. That's the Jews. Jesus was a servant for the Jews, a minister carrying the truth of God for the Jews. So that's to the gospel went out to the Jews first. And there was a reason for that, by the way. And he gives us the reason. In fact, two reasons right here in verse number 8. There's two reasons that Jesus carried the gospel, the truth of God, to the Jews first. Let me unpack them. First one is in verse 8. I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to, what reason? To confirm the promises of God to the fathers. The very reason that God sent Jesus to the Jewish people first was so that God could confirm the promises that were made to their fathers. Remember, Romans chapter 9 through 11, God always keeps his promises. So God had made a promise to Adam in the garden I'm not going to leave you helpless. I will send a redeemer, he will crush the head of the serpent. And all throughout the Old Testament, you after promise, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, Abraham, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Through you, Abraham, it will happen. David, upon your throne there will sit one who will not ever have an end to his kingdom. That's Jesus. These promises were made to the fathers and God always keeps his promises. So why would God send the gospel to the Jews first? Because God always keeps his promises and Paul points it out here. But then it's not just for the Jews, because God, and I'll develop this more in just a moment, God is not ethnocentric. Look at verse 9. And, so God sent Jesus to the Jews to confirm the promises, and, verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. That's the second reason that God sent Jesus, was so that He could cause the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy. That's a glorious thought. Oh, friend, we're going to take some moments and we're going to think on this for a moment. It, 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 in, its, in, in, its, in its wording, it can be weighty. But when you stop and meditate on the Word of God, depth will come into your soul. So God sent Jesus first to the Jews so that the Gentiles would glorify God for His mercy. There's a problem. Here's the problem. 
a lot of Jewish people in Paul's day thought that God only cared about the Jews. They thought, God gave us this Old Testament law and we need to live this way. And when we live this way, we become really good Jews and God loves Jews. Some of them went so far as to say, it doesn't matter whether I have a relationship with God or not. Just because I was born into the line of Abraham, I automatically get God's favor. Let me say this again. God is not ethnocentric. That's a nice way of saying God's not a racist. Ethnocentric. Ethno, a people group. Centric, circling around one people group. That's the politically correct way of saying racist. God is not ethnocentric. If we're not careful, we will act just like the Jews did. Those Jewish people, first century Those Jewish people thought God only cares about us. And Paul comes along and he goes, no, wait, I'm going to write a whole passage here to show you that God's been concerned about the Gentiles from the beginning. And he's going to unpack it in just a moment. And friend, if we're not careful, we'll follow along in the shoes of the Jewish people and we'll say our group is right to the detriment of everyone else. Throughout history, this has happened. The Middle Ages, there was an entire denomination that built their doctrine upon this. We can come to the 1800s, early 1800s, and there was an entire group of people in southern United States that to the detriment of a whole lot of other people, if you know American history, you'll understand that one entire group of people thought that God only cared about them to the point that they said the other group of people don't have a soul. God's not ethnocentric. Maybe it was like the Germans in the 1930s. And can I just be honest this morning? Sometimes you and I as independent Baptists in the 21st century can have this very same mindset. You see, God is not ethnocentric. He does not only care about us. He cares about all the people of the world. That's why He sent Jesus to die on the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Not just us. And so as we come into this, he's going to unpack it, and I hope you'll see it. He's going to give us four Old Testament references to show that God's been thinking about the entire world from the beginning. Look at them in verse number 9. As it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. That is a quote that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 22, and it's repeated in Psalm chapter 18. Now, if you were to take those and put them side by side, those two chapters are almost identical. Amazing. 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, and they almost match each other. They're off by one verse all the way through each other. So it's 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50, and Psalm chapter 18 and verse 40, 49 that make this statement. And here's what's going on when that statement is made. David has just escaped from the hand of Saul, and he's living among the Gentiles. And listen to the words that are quoted here in verse number 9. I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. So here's what's going on. David is with the Gentiles and he's confessing to God, Oh God, great is your name. And when he's saying it, he's saying it in a way that the Gentiles who are around him will hear it. God, you caused me to escape. You are my fortress. You are my strength. You are my rock. You are my high tower. These are the words that he's saying to God in the midst of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are hearing it. Goes the next step. Verse number 10. By the way, he builds on this. Verse 10, and again he saith, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. Verse 9 was rejoice among, now it's rejoice with. And this quote comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 43 as Moses is quoting, or Moses is praising God and he says, I praise God with the nations. And here Paul says, with the Gentiles. And here's the statement, God has protected his people against the enemy and the Gentiles celebrate that with his people. Now in my mind, I think, how does that work? Because in my mind, I think the Israelites are God's people, all the Gentiles are his enemies. And that's not the case. As you look through the Old Testament, all the Gentiles were not the enemies of Israel. 
at different times, different groups were. But think with us, most recently we've sp- spoken about King Hezekiah and the nation of Assyria coming against them. So think in that story. Hezekiah is there inside of Jerusalem, walled city, Assyria has come against them. Do you remember what it was that God praised Hezekiah for doing? He trusted in God alone and did not rest in the strength of Egypt. You know what that tells us? Egypt is also the enemy of Assyria. So in the moment that God knocks down Assyria, Egypt rejoices with God's people at the overthrow of his enemy. In other words, they have a common enemy that God has discharged. Can I just go practical here for just a moment? We, as various peoples of the earth, have a common enemy whom He has overcome. Rejoice among the Gentiles. Rejoice with the Gentiles. Oh, our common enemy is Satan, and God has overthrown him on the cross. God sent Jesus to take our sin. That's the very thing that will destroy your life. And then with with it comes the tool of Satan, death. And God has overcome that one. Oh, rejoice with His people. He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Verse 11. It's a quote again and again from the Old Testament. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud Him. Praise Him highly, all you people. In one, it was praise Him among the Gentiles. Then it was praise Him with the Gentiles. And now He is, don't even bother with that. Praise Him all you Gentiles. All the Gentiles should be... This quote comes from Psalm 117 in verse number 1. And here's, here's the praise. Praise Him all you Gentiles. In verse 2, he's paused there. But in verse 2 of Psalm 117, praise Him for His mercy among your people. God has been tremendously merciful to us Gentiles. If you think for some moment that you're a Jew, I'm sorry. Most likely we have very few Jews among us this morning. We are mostly Gentiles. So let us praise Him. Let us laud Him. Praise Him with high praise, all you Gentiles. For what? For His mercy. His mercy is great upon us. For He could have been ethnocentric. That was in His prerogative. He has every right to choose to whom He will give His promises. And He chose to give His Son to all of us. Praise Him, all you Gentiles. Raise up His voice, His name. And then in verse number 11, sorry, verse number 12, He continues on. And Isaiah, again, Isaiah saith. You know what Paul's doing here? He's saying all of you racist Jewish people who think God only cared about you, here, look at your own Old Testament, and I'm going to knock it down again and again. Four in a row. And again, Isaiah says, this is Isaiah 12 and verse, uh, sorry, Isaiah 11 and verse 10. There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. That is an amazing chapter, by the way. Isaiah chapter 11, at the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 11, in verse 1, this is a, a, a bit of a, 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 a modern way of saying it. Isaiah 11 and verse 1. A twig will be sticking out from the dead stump of Jesse. Just think of how the nations destroyed Israel. Knocked down Israel. And for how long did the nations think it's just a dead stump? And yet there's a twig coming out of it. A twig. You know what I mean by a twig? That's a a little branch that looks like it's dead. My mind goes to Isaiah 53 and verse 2. Isaiah 53 and verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, one that's not having strength. And out of a root, as a root out of a dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. Born into a manger, nobody celebrating his birth. Just a dry twig coming out of the dead stump of Jesse so that by the time you get to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 10, he's no longer a dry twig. He is a great branch that has grown that is now calling all the peoples of the earth to come to him. So if you use the image of a tree, you can imagine as this tree has grown into massive blossomness, 
2021, calling all the peoples of the world, come and find rest in me. That's what Christ is calling. Why do we carry the gospel to the nations? Why do we go to the Gentiles? Because his tree gives us rest. Or to use the words of Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10, it says, he will be an ensign unto them, unto the Gentiles, and they will find rest in him. An ensign, that's a banner. An ensign is a banner that's on the battlefield. Can you just imagine a massive ancient battlefield where on one side you have the soldiers with their spears and their arrows and on the other side you have the ones with their swords and their shields and you know what you do when you're the enemy and you see the banner, the ensign of the enemy, you fear it. That one, if I get too close, will take my life but not the ensign of the Lord Jesus. Oh no, His ensign, His banner that is upon the battlefield says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. And we not, instead of fighting against Him, we can flee to Him and we will find rest for our souls. Oh, He is a glorious Jesus. I love my Lord. Friend, Our Lord is not ethnocentric. To the Jew first, but that was for a reason. So that the Gentiles will look upon the mercy of God and praise Him for His mercy. As I come into verses 13 and 14, I see Paul do a personal moment here for the people. And I think it's because he's trying to be very careful. I'll tell you why he has to be careful. Because he just said... In verse number 8, that Christ was a minister to the Jews. And in verse number 15, he's going to say that he's a minister. Or verse number 16, he's going to say he's a minister to the Gentiles. And he's being very careful not to place himself on par with Jesus. Jesus was a minister to the truth of God. And he says, I'm a minister to Jesus, to the Gentiles. So let him have just a moment as he speaks tenderly to the church. Verse number 13. Now the hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. As he transitions from the fact that the gospel went to the Jews first and now he comes into this statement that the gospel is now being taken to the Gentiles, he's very careful to draw any glory to himself for he is not the one that gets the glory in carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. You and I do not get the glory in carrying gospel to the Gentiles. This is Christ's work. It is His Holy Spirit that does the awakening work in the hearts of people. And so He carefully steps into this passage. The gospel went to the Jew first, but not exclusively to the Jew. As I read verses 15 down to verse 24... I might ask a very practical question of the Apostle. How, Paul, how do you take the Gospel to the Gentiles? How do you do it? And he's going to give us four very clear ways that he takes the Gospel to the Gentiles. Let's see the first one in verse 16. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the Gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. How do you take the gospel to the Gentiles, Paul? He gives us a model. I do it by offering up sanctified Gentiles. This is a different mindset, by the way. He says, I'm a minister. You see that in verse 16? I'm a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. I see that as a priestly work. A minister. My mind goes back. We were just there a few months ago to... Zacharias, and the word that was used in the story in Luke chapter 1, that he was there in his ministration, his priestly work. 
Christ's work as a minister of the circumcision was a priestly work. Now Paul says, this is a priestly work. So I've got in my mind, here's a priestly work on behalf of these people, but on a greater extent, for God, I'm serving. And watch what he does here. A minister of the Gospel of God. And that ministry can be a costly work. I've been going from place to place. If you know his story... I've been going from place to place and it's been costly. Friend, I'm going to be honest this morning, carrying the Gospel is not an easy work. It is a costly work. For the Apostle Paul, he went from town to town, Lystra and Derby, and he got stoned. And he went into Ephesus and he escapes with just his life. If they could have gotten him into the stadium and they wanted to, for a space of two hours, they shouted for him. If they could have gotten him into the stadium, they would have stoned him to death that day. In Jerusalem, which is after him writing this book, he goes to Jerusalem, he's there for a week, and he's arrested. It's costly. He will spend the majority of the rest of his life, after writing this book, he will spend the majority of the rest of his life in prison. Carrying the gospel is a costly work. I can tell you that from first-hand experience. James is here this morning. Saw him and greeted him on the way in this morning. 2004, James and I stood on the airstrip at Kamina. The bishop from Karama met us there. And quickly a mob went into a riot. Hundreds of people. Quickly I found myself and James and a handful of believers outnumbered. We were there to preach the gospel. And it almost cost us our life that day. July of 2015, I stood out here in the driveway in front of the church. Brother Eric was there that day. And a man who, if I said his name, prominent person in our city, if I said his name, many of you would recognize it. And that day, that man from his mouth, the words, and by die. It's a costly work. And if I were to take the time to develop the story and share with you what the Nichols went through, I would not be able to make it through the story for how deeply that wounds. You carry the gospel, it'll be costly. Paul says, I'm a minister. I'm going to do this priestly work. And I do it because I want to see something come of it. I want you to see what's going to come of it. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Here's the picture. I'm doing priestly work and I'm carrying the Gentiles as an offering before God. The the priests would carry a lamb, a bullock, a turtle dove. They would carry that offering before God and lay it upon the altar. That was a priestly work that they would do. And it was holy. And it was sanctified. It was set apart. And the Apostle Paul says, I want to carry the Gentiles as an offering to God the Father. And they're sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And in the Jewish mindset, oh, this would be ridiculous. You don't bring a Gentile before God. That's the Jewish mindset. You don't do that. The Gentiles are unclean. But you remember what God said to Peter? That which I call clean. Don't you dare call it unclean. And Paul says, I want to bring these Gentiles who have been sanctified by the Holy Ghost. God has made them clean. And I want to bring them before Him. I have to tell you, friend, you know what I look forward to? I look forward to that final day when I stand before God and give an account of my life. Eleven years among the Kamea people. And I look forward to one day offering to God an offering of people. God, here's the Kamea believers. That to my knowledge, if I hadn't gone and done that, they would not be here today. And I look forward to God for the last nine years working among Port Moresby people. That's you and I. And for God's 
If God would permit, I love the fact that if I could one day die here among you much longer than 11 years among the Kamea, that we can together stand before God and I can say, yes, Lord, I had the privilege of leading this one to you and that one to you. And Lord, would you take this offering, these people having been made holy and set apart by your Holy Ghost, would you take them? It's my offering to you. That's his prayer. How do you do it? You do it with a different mindset. I'm not carrying the gospel because those people need Jesus. Oh yeah, they need Jesus. It's a good secondary or tertiary motivation. But I want to carry them as an offering to my Lord Jesus. And oh friend, who cares how costly that is? It's very much worth it. You do it then also by watching God do His mighty work. Look at verses 17 to 19. Verse 17. I have there, uh, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So how do you do this, Paul? How do you carry the gospel to the Gentiles? And how do you and I, friend, how do we carry the gospel to the Gentiles? We do it primarily by offering up sanctified Gentiles. And we do it also by watching God do His mighty work. So he's very careful to say, I'm not going to speak of those things which I did. If I did it in my flesh, it's not worth talking about. But if I did it through him, and he's the one that did it, through his mighty signs and his wonders, he's the one that gets the glory for making this happen. So in the meantime, I'll just lay down my life and let the gospel advance, and it will be him that does it. I'm bringing the Gentiles to obedience. Look at the end of verse 18. By word and deed. Because anybody can say, I prayed a prayer. Anybody with word can say, oh, I trust Jesus. But when you watch the gospel do its transforming work in their life, it's the Gentiles coming to God both in word and in deed. Their actions are changed because of the gospel. get to see God do an amazing work. Just about 10 days ago, Braxton and I got a phone call about 6 p.m. We found out that Pastor Ben's wife had just had a baby in the bush near Anita, and she was not doing well. Later on, Mama Lena made it very clear if we had not gone and got her, she would not have made it. And that night... Braxton and I jumped in the truck. We got, found out at 6 o'clock. Becky packed us some food. Brianna packed some food. We jumped in the truck at 6.30. We grabbed Celestine in the back seat and we drove as fast as we could to get to Anita. The last time I drove that, I did it during the day and I broke an old man emu shock absorber. Snapped it off. That road is a problem. And now... With a new old man emu shock absorber, I'm going to do it at night. We left the town, left the city. It was already dark. And we drove through the night. By God's grace, they had moved her from Anita to Malalawa Hausik. We got there at 1230 at night. We loaded her up, brought her back. But I got to tell you, the trip to get there was one of the most exciting things I've experienced in a long time. We saw all kinds of wildlife. Mumut ran out in front of the road, in front of the truck. I had my high beams on. That poor Mumut didn't know what to do. He got out in the middle of the road and just ran in circles. I gave him a free pass. I saw him coming for a long, long ways, and I let him keep going in circles as we went by. Came around one corner. There was a python. It was about as big around as my biceps, which should be a lot bigger than what it really is. That python was about five meters long, and he was doing his best to get across the road. He was very much alive. It was too late. I ran right over him. One place they had set DYs in the road to try to stop us. About six big logs were out in the road. By God's grace, saw a little clearance on the side, just drove off road and went around it and kept on going. The police stopped us twice and did their best to try to harass us. In the words of Braxton, as we drove, around, drove away from the police, he said, oh, no sabe lo pastor blow me. 
At one point, they stoned the vehicle, provided adrenaline for the next hour. When they stoned the vehicle, that rock was about that big. It should have come through the driver's window, but it missed the driver's window, and it hit the top of the truck. Big dent and scratch on the top. And the way I see it is if God could send his angels to guide one stone from David's sling into Goliath's forehead at the very same God can send an angel to misdirect a stone that should have come through the glass. Why would you do that? Because God's made a change in a life of a pastor and his family. And I've watched as God has changed them in word and in deed. I love that family and whatever it's going to take to help them to continue to serve the Lord so that they too can carry the gospel. You see, the gospel needs to go to the Gentiles. How do we do this? By offering up sanctified Gentiles and by watching God do His mighty work. Then notice the words that he says in verse 19. By the power of the Spirit of God, I've seen mighty signs and wonders so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I've fully preached the gospel of Christ. I doubt that many of us here know where Illyricum is. So I've got it on a map here for us. Jerusalem would be on the far eastern side of the map in the middle of Israel. Then you can go north of that into Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. The churches of Galatia would be in that area. You keep coming across. Troas would be at the northeastern corner of Greece. That's Macedonia area. Corinth is in the southern part of Greece. Illyricum is the northwestern portion of Greece. If you draw a straight line from Jerusalem to Illyricum, it's 1,000 miles, about 1,600 kilometers. If you go around about, which is the words that he used here, if you follow the coastline, which is the way that Paul did it, and I've kind of just drawn in, you can see all the different missionary journeys that Paul made. You're looking at over 1,400 miles if you go from Jerusalem to Illyricum, not to count the fact that he did that three times. Back and forth. He says, I've had something going on here. I've been carrying the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and I fully preached the gospel of Christ. Oh, here he is carrying the gospel, and he's watching God do his mighty work. Let me read verses 20 and 21 and get, let you see the reason why he does this. Look at verse 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. If I was Paul, I would say the reason I want to do this from Jerusalem to Illyricum is because I love people, and I want to see them come to know the Lord Jesus. But that's not why Paul said that he does it. He said that he does it in verse 21, as it is written. So that gives me the third way that Paul does this missionary work, the third way that he carries the gospel to the Gentiles, and the way that we should do it is the third one is striving with a biblical purpose. A biblical purpose. Why? Why do you do it? What's the purpose? Have a biblical purpose. So he roots his why in the book of Isaiah. To whom it was written, as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. The primary reason that he would be going and the primary reason that you and I should be going is because God said that they will hear. God said that they will understand. God said that their eyes would be opened so we can carry the gospel to them because they will understand. Oh, not every one of them will want to. Not every one of them will be happy when you carry the gospel to them, but there will be, Jesus' words, there are some that are in other folds that are not in my fold yet. We go and we get them. And we bring them to Him. And as people from other nations and the Gentiles from other families come to know Him, the glory of God is expanded in mightier ways. I said last week that the glory of God is already infinite. And all we are doing is going from people group to people group, showing off more so that His glory will be glorified in a greater way from more voices. To whom he was not spoken of. And by the way, this quote comes from Isaiah 52 and verse 15. That may not mean anything to the majority of us. 
But let me give you the significance very quickly. Isaiah 52 and verse 15 falls right in the middle of the Isaiah 53 prophecy. You say, 53, that's in 52. No, the Isaiah 53 prophecy about the suffering servant who would be Jesus. With his stripes we were healed. That's the passage. That starts in Isaiah 52 in verse 9 and goes all the way through Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 52 in verse 15, this prophecy being quoted in the New Testament is pointing right at Jesus. And it says... There are people who have never heard, but they'll see, and they'll understand, and it's our responsibility to carry the gospel to them. And I think around the world right now of those people that have not heard, if you're not familiar with Joshua Project, can I ask you to find Joshua Project online? Right now, Joshua Project, it catalogs all the peoples of the earth. If you're from a tribe in Papua New Guinea, your people are catalogs. Go and find out more about your tribe and what the Joshua Project says about how far has the gospel gone into your people group. Right now around the world, Joshua Project says that there are 4,991 frontier people groups around the world. That means that there is no known missionary work or growing church among them. Very little believers. In fact, they would say less than 0.01% of believers among that people group. The numbers are staggering. 4,991 frontier people groups make up a population of 2 billion people on this planet. You're looking at almost one-fourth of the world's population lives in frontier people groups. That's hard for us to fathom because we live in a group of people in Port Moresby where it is common to see shirts that say, I love Jesus, and hats that say, I love Jesus. And there are one-fourth of the world's population that today in 2023 have still not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Half of those people, one billion of them, live within 47 people groups. 47. 47 languages and cultures around the world where as far as we can tell, nobody is doing any gospel work among them. I'll give an example of one of them. Perhaps you've heard of them from the news. This is the Uyghur people who are in China. They're Muslim. They're entirely Muslim. 11.7 million Uyghurs that live in China. In the early 1930s, it was, no, it was known that there were about 300 Christians among the Uyghurs. But in 1933, a leader in China rounded up those Christians and had them all executed in a mass execution. To this day, there is no known movement of believers among the Uyghur people. And yet, they are part of the people whom Christ died on the cross for. They're a part of the one God so loved the world. Friend, I say these things this morning to awaken in our hearts the fact that there are people around this world that need the gospel. People in Zimbabwe and people in Chile and cheap people in Brazil and people in Mexico and people in Mount Basavi and people in Cupiano and people right here in our own Port Moresby that need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ came and the gospel went to the Jews first, but now ever since then it's been going to the Gentiles and that work is laid in our hands. It is our responsibility to carry the gospel. Lastly, verses 22 to verse 24, how do you take the gospel to the Gentiles? And you do it by delaying a good trip with intentionality. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 to verse 24. Verse 22. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Here's what he just said. The very reason of me carrying the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum is the very reason that I've not carried the gospel to you in Rome. I've been busy with intentionality. I've not come to see you. That's what he's saying. Verse 23. But now, having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. For this cause I've been hindered from coming unto you. I've had something important going on that has kept me from coming and doing a good thing. 
Going and visiting them in Rome would have been a good thing. Can I just be transparent with you for just a moment? My kids don't live here anymore. And spending time with my kids is a good thing. And the day will come when my kids will have children of their own and I will have grandchildren. And going and spending time with them, yea, could I even say living next door to them is a good thing. And I'll transfer that and give an example. Papa John and Mama Lena have a whole bunch of grandkids that don't live here. And I love my brothers very much and am very close to my brothers. We talk to each other almost every day. And I've got nieces and nephews on both sides of our family. And it's a good thing to spend time with them. And it's a good thing to live around them. But with intentionality, I've chosen to put those good things aside for the greater cause of carrying the Gospel to the Gentiles. And friend, can I encourage you this morning? There are good things in life. There are good things. Nobody would ever fault Paul and say, Paul, you did a wrong thing by going to Rome. That's a good thing. But he said there's a more important thing right now. And that more important thing is for me to preach from Jerusalem to Illyricum and to do it again and to do it again. And I'm going to keep doing it until I fully preach the gospel there. And when I feel that I fully preach the gospel and I don't have any more space there, then I'll move on. And I want you to see how he moves on. Verse 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain. Spain? Who saw that coming? In case you didn't pick that up, here it is on the map. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, you remember Jerusalem to Illyricum, Rome is outside of that around about. Spain is, might as well be off the map to him. Twice as far as Jerusalem is to Rome is the same twice as far from Rome to Spain. I think to myself, Paul, what in the world are you thinking? In the words that he says, I have no more place in these parts and I've had a desire to come and see you people in Rome, so when I go to Spain, I'm going to stop and see you in Rome. What a way to think. Here's a guy that goes, I've got to get the Gospel to the Gentiles. And there's Gentiles in Spain. And to my knowledge, nobody's taken the Gospel to Spain, so I'm going to do it. And I can just imagine. You know, back in that day, the Romans, they were really good with their ships and they were really good with their roads. And they sent their roads as far as they could. Back in that day, they had the statement, all roads lead to Rome. They sent their roads out and their ships would go... And I can just imagine Paul as he's on the ship. Sometimes he would go Jerusalem to Illyricum on foot. Sometimes he would make that journey on ship. And I can just imagine as he would make the journey back and forth and he'd jump on a ship and there was probably Roman soldiers that would be on the ship. They sit down for the mess. And I can just imagine as he sits down and he hears a couple of these Roman soldiers talking about, you know, I just came from a trip to Spain. And Paul goes, tell me about Spain. I want to know more about what language do they speak? What do they eat there? Are they friendly to outsiders? If someone were to just come and live among them, would they be receptive to that? You know what Paul's doing? He's getting information about Spain. I want to know more about Spain, and his heart begins to get set on fire. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The Scripture never says anything about whether he ever makes it to Spain, but we get to see where his heart is. His heart is, I've got to take the gospel where Christ has not been named. I've got to get there. And so he makes this little statement to the church at Rome. I've wanted to come and visit you. And it's a good thing to come and visit you. But I've had something that's more important. Preaching the gospel is more important. And when I go to preach the gospel on that side of you, be prepared. I'll stop by and see you. But I want to draw in one last statement he makes in this verse. Verse 24, because he doesn't just say, I'm going to pop in and say hi. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. We don't use those words very much anymore. I hope to be brought on my way thitherward by you. 
Here's a picture. There's Spain over there. Here's Jerusalem. Illyricum over here. There's Rome in the middle. Paul says, I'm headed to Spain. And when I, get to, when I go to Spain, I'm going to stop and I'm going to see you. That's the beginning of verse 24. I'm going to spend some time with you and I look forward to that. But I also plan on being brought. The word brought comes from the word to bring. I plan on being brought to Spain with you. Do you know what he's doing? He's stirring within their heart a desire to go to Spain as well. And some of them will go to Spain physically with their bodies. You know what we call those? We call those goers. Some of those Roman church believers are going to become missionaries to Spain. Just like Paul took along Barnabas and took along Silas and took along Luke and took along Titus and took along John Mark and took along Timothy. He's been taking people with him all along. And now he says, I don't know, maybe it's going to be Aquila that goes with me or maybe it'll be Eunice. It'll be somebody from your church and I would like to be brought thitherward by you. I want you to go with me. And for those of you that cannot physically go, I expect that you will be financially helping. See that in verse 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. You're going to physically go with me, or you're going to help send me? And that draws me down to this, and I'll be finished. When it comes to taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which is an ongoing work for us today, I've heard it said like this, there are three types of Christians. There are goers, there are senders, and there's disobedient. And you fall into one of those categories. I will physically go. And you know what that means? Friend, get ready. I'll sell all of my goods. I'll let go of my house. I'll go pack up my belongings. I'll be brought. And if you're from here, You'll be brought by here. We'll send you well. That's the goers. And I pray, in just a moment, I'm going to give an invitation and I'm going to ask, if God's been working in your heart, that perhaps He might use you as a goer, I'm going to ask you to walk down to the front. It's my prayer. But I know, practically speaking, it's impossible for every single believer to be a goer. So those of us who are not going physically should be very actively giving and sending so that that one can go. And those who are not goers and are not givers or senders are just simply disobedient. Not having anything to do with go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so can I ask you this morning, are you a goer? Are you a sender? Or are you disobedient? Would you stand with me, heads bowed this morning? Father, I thank you for the Word of God so very clear. You sent Jesus. You sent Jesus to the Jews carrying the truth of God to fulfill the promises to those fathers. But then also so that we Gentiles would rejoice at the mercy that you've shown upon us. And now, Lord, as we carry the gospel, Lord, I pray that we would not be content to just sit within our four walls and hold the gospel to ourselves and pass it around like it's a game. And instead, that we would, with all seriousness, send forth the gospel. And yea, even, Lord, I pray this morning, fall out from among us those who would go. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Could I ask you this morning... If God's begun to do a work within your heart, you say, I don't know where God wants me to be a missionary or where God wants me to go pastor. I have no idea, but I believe that God's begun to stir a work in my heart. God's begun to stir me. And I don't know where that's going to be and what that's going to look like, but today I want to just come to the front and I want to publicly acknowledge I'm willing. Heavenly Father, I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do wherever it is you want me to go. So can I ask you to come?
Lord, I don't know where you're going to use me, but I certainly would love to be used by you wherever it is. Would you take me? Some are still coming. If you would stand with us this morning, everyone can stand, continue to pray. I'm going to ask those that are here to stay. I'm going to pray for you guys. Some are still coming. Perhaps you want to make that move. Lord, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm certainly willing. Father, this morning you see the hearts of these that have come. Lord, I know it's not an easy road. Some will misunderstand the motives. Some will physically be violent. You never called us to an easy road. But Lord, you have promised your holy presence to go with us and you have stated that those who have not heard will see and they will understand. And so Lord, we're going to be feet to your message, mouth to your message, examples of your message. And so Lord, I pray that you would take these men and ladies who have come this morning saying all to Jesus, I surrender. Lord, I pray you would take them and use them. Encourage their hearts. Allow them to see your goodness as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.